That's Black Box Recorder from 2001 with Andrew Ridgely, the homage to the, what, the forgotten member of Wham. <laughs> That's off the album Passionoia. Before that, Michael Nesmith did Different Drum. He wrote the song, so he gets the right to do his version of it. That's off 1971's And the Hits Just Keep On Coming. Margot Gurian with one of those lost classics, Sun, off 1968's Take a Picture. One of the best sort of soft, I guess, California pop albums released, except it was recorded in New York, which is pretty interesting. And then Marlena Shaw, the approved Marlena Shaw, did California Soul off 1969's The Spice of Life. She was actually more of a jazz singer than anything, throwing her lot in with Count Basie, but as was the custom in the late 60s, everybody got a crack at a couple pop albums. This one is really, really nice. And we'll let it set off with Austin Transplant, Mr. Bill Callahan doing the sing off the brand new release from Drag City Records, Dream River. This is Sonic Saturday, and I am pleased to have Mr. Denny Tedesco. Filmmaker, is that how we would? Uh, sure, today I'll call myself filmmaker. Today you're a filmmaker <laughs> for the purposes of this, right? If you want to pay me for something else, I'll do anything you want. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll talk about that. Maybe okay. you'll be on off, later off, on the yeah, show. Yeah, exactly. That's right. <laughs> well, welcome. Oh, thank you again. It's amazing to be here. Yeah. So you obviously have something going on. You're yeah. promoting an event that's I, pretty exciting to me. The, if For those who don't know, I'm hoping everybody knows by now, but we're doing a, a documentary. It's called The Wrecking Crew. It's the story mm-hmm. of the session musicians in the 60s and 70s that did all the work for Sinatra, the Beach Boys. They were the Beach Boys recording band, uh, Phil Spector's Wall of Sound, Mamas and Papas, Birds, the the Monkees, Michael Nesmith, and just went on and on and on. Even Elvis, anybody that played in or recorded in L.A., these group of musicians most likely had something to do with it. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. And part of the whole thing is that this isn't a well-advertised fact. No, no, it wasn't at the time for sure. Now it's like everybody's, you know, spilling the beans. Everybody wants to be, (laughs) oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. Um, It was just a part of the business. That's what it was. Uh, You know, the Beach Boys, obviously, they didn't want to publicize that, you know, other musicians were recording the actual Pet Sounds album. Brian in the studio with these guys, and you know, then the guys would do their vocals over over that. And Association was another group. Um, there were the Birds, Mister Tambourine Man. Yeah, that was the, me. the first one. It was it was uh, Terry Meltzer was the producer at Columbia, and the Birds had they got the contract, and he said, "Right, well, I'm going to bring my guys in to do this." And the Birds were very upset. And finally, uh, he said, well, you know, I'll use Roger McGuinn and to sing and play, but i got to have Hal Blaine on drums and Leon Russell on piano. Right. Larry Nectel was the bass player, and, um, and Bill Pittman and Jerry Cole were the other guitarists. And that's what they did. You yeah. know, and, but as, uh, as Roger McGuinn said to me, he says, listen, he said, yeah, the birds were upset, but, you know, they got to realize we did the A side, Mr. Tambourine Man, and the B side in three hours. They were right. in and out. He says when, you know, Turn, Turn, Turn was out, another number one hit, it was 77 takes. Wow, because so, of the musicianship. Exactly. Yeah. It, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, oh, don't forget my father and these guys are in their late 20s, early 30s. Now the birds are 10 years younger. You know, so a lot of these kids in these bands, when I say kids, they were kids, 18-year-olds, sure. 19-year-olds. Sure, They don't have that much experience. And in the studios, you only had a couple tracks sometimes at right. the beginning. So they, as Glenn Campbell said, who's a session player, he said, I was playing with with uh, Michael Jordan, but everybody in the room was a Michael Jordan. Right. They had to nail it. You only had three hours. If you can't keep up as a sh- session player, you can't stay. 
Right. Because we have another gig to go to, another three hours at another studio. And that could have been Sinatra or it could have been someone else. Yeah, that's crazy. So we're talking about basically the an industry in which the clock was always ticking. Absolutely. It was money, 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 crank it out was the singles. A, it, yes, exactly. And, and, you know, the struggle with this documentary was when it started, when my dad, Tommy Tedesco, was passing away in 96, um, no one would help out because, you know, it was like they said, well, there's way too much music. We'll never get everything in. You know, and they and the people said you'll never be able to do it. So I just kept going, interviewing people, interviewing, and then 2006, I decided I had to make this film. The only people that came to my help, other than family, was a guy named Mastercard, Visa, <laughs> Countrywide, Wells Fargo. It's good to know they're always there for they you. They are there for you. I don't know why there's such bad talk about <laughs> banks and credit card companies. And here we are, a nonprofit. Boy, the tide is really Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I was in Boise in 2008. We won uh, the Documentary Award here, and the film's not out yet. We're just basically just about to do Kickstarter. That is amazing. So we owe 250 left. All the music's been paid off in terms of the actual uh, labels and publishers. Yeah. Paid them out. They're all good. Next one is Musicians Union. Gotcha. And uh, then the musicians will get paid, and then that's it. And that's the and that's sort of the order that needs to take for all that. I had to take, to take that take order. Place. It's not yeah. usually the case, but when you're doing it by yourself, you know, it's, it's what it is. Would you say that the musical rights have been the majority of the cost? Oh, absolutely. Because yep. I mean, all my friends helped me, and you know, we did this for years, you know. I go around the country now just doing fundraisers for the, either the film or we share a fundraiser with some other charity. And it's just getting it out there, letting people know. Sure, sure. Well, we're happy to help that yeah. uh, oh, it's, marketing. It's, it's, I appreciate that. And you you guys, I've been listening to you all week. It's amazing. Yeah? Absolutely. Yeah, it's well, awesome. We're going through kind of a honeymoon period. We're just coming into existence, and we don't have that many restrictions. So, yeah, well, these are good days. Just don't, don't change it. <laughs> yeah, maybe this is our wrecking crew period. There huh? you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. So the film is screening tomorrow, it's right? screening tomorrow at uh, the Flicks at 4.45 and 7. Gotcha. Um, and I think uh, the Boise Rock School will the be Rock School. The kids will be playing in front at four forty, four o'clock probably. Yeah, that's great. Out on the lawn in front of the yeah. Flex. So it should be really fun. Yeah, that's. They'll be cool. playing Wrecking Crew songs. Yeah. So let let me play this excerpt that uh, from Glenn Campbell. Yeah, Glenn speaking Campbell. in the film. This then, was done about ten years ago. Okay, and we'll, and then we'll talk a little bit yeah, more sure. about the film. Awesome. And well, the first big gigs I played was with the Doors, and uh. I got up there and I said, uh, where's the band? They said, we ain't got no band, it's just you and the guitar. <laughs> I went out with my guitar and opened for the doors in Portland and <laughs> Seattle. And I, when I got back to town, I said, don't book me on no money load, man. I said, I'd rather I'll stay here and do sessions. I can make more money and enjoy it a hell of a lot more than going out there playing, trying to do, there is someone walking behind you. We want the doors! Who, who's the guy with the lead singer? <laughs> Bring Fassel out, you know. <laughs> and I didn't go back out either till I, until after the TV show. Gentleman, I had Phoenix, I had Gentleman Mind. I said, no, I ain't going out. I'm making more money sitting right here and have a hell of a lot more fun. Because that was a fun group of people to work with. Everybody had a great sense of humor.
thought I'd play a sample of a Wrecking Crew well, that was, song. Yeah, huh? well, that's a weird. Well, not weird, but that was a uh, almost famous song for the era. It was called "Lonely Surfer" by Jack Nitsche. Right. And Jack Nitsche was the arranger on all of Phil Spector's stuff. So Jack did his own album. Wonderful composer. He did many movies. And that's uh, Ray Pullman is on the um, on the what do you call it? Uh, Dano Electro bass. My dad Tommy's on that album. It's a wonderful album. It's very cool. Yeah, is it? Um, that seems to predate like the heyday of Wrecking Crew by a few years. That's Wait, about I, 64, I, 65. No, no, Wrecking, these guys were... Here's the thing. Let me give you the real truth about the name Wrecking Crew. Okay. All right. The guys never heard that name. It was never used. It was a group of, I say, about 20, 25 musicians in and out of different... You know, it wasn't the same guys. It was Hal Blaine on drums, Earl Palmer on drums... Another guy that was uh, uh, Johnny Garrett sometimes. Um, and guitar players was my dad, Glenn Campbell, uh, James Burton sometimes if he was in town, Billy Strange, Bill Pittman. Um, in bass, there was a woman bass player named uh, Carol Kay. That's right. I saw an excerpt yeah. with her. And it's amazing. Really great. And Ray Pullman was another bass player. Right. There was about four bass players. Don Randy was a piano player. Mike Mann, Leon Russell was a huge, you know, Influ- <clears throat> excuse me, influence there. He was yeah. He was a session guy. Yeah, he One spent of, a lot of the early time in Oh, that absolutely. Outfit. He produced right. Gary Lewis and the Playboys. That's all his work. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, because Snuff was the actual producer of yeah. that. Garrett, who did a lot of Bobby V and a lot of other things, Cher. But when he did that, he knew he had, a, he knew he had something because it was Jerry's kid. So he knew at least he could get the publicity going sure. and, and get sure. him on the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah. So he got brought, you know, Leon in, who he always worked with. Leon did all the work. I mean, Leon, you know, Herb, Herb, I'm so sorry. Snuff would get the songs mm-hmm. and hire the right people. Mm-hmm. But Leon did all the arrangements. Gotcha. And I asked him about, I said, what about this diamond ring? And he says, it was awful. <laughs> you know, what do I know? <laughs> Which is not what we think when we listen to the song. No, Usually, I mean. Isn't that funny? Just... Well, it's like my father, it's my father said, listen, there's music in the music business. You're there to create your best you can, but he says sometimes they sometimes they mix. Don't forget, a lot of these musicians were very extreme in terms of um, they weren't snobs. You know, they could be on their own, but they weren't snobs in, in front of the guy that's hiring them. Sure, you know, but sure. they knew. You know, hey, you want me to play three chords? I'll do whatever you want. Yeah. I'll stay here as long as you want, as long as you keep paying. Right, right. It's the, the humility of employment. Exactly, and you yeah. know what? And that's what I've learned from my father. Um, you try to keep cool. You want to kill someone or tell someone off, but he says you got to remember, you might not come back to that gig. You know, you could be 110 percent right, but guys, you know, just beware. I, he says I play for smiles. If the guy's smiling, I'm doing the job. It's kind of a refreshing attitude. Yeah, and and so the '60s when these guys are working, the early '60s, Phil Spector's really. The beginning, in a sense, that they're all coming together as a big group. Mm-hmm. You know, they're all splitting up. They did, you know, like I said, Janet Dean, and then Janet Dean turned them on to the Beach Boys and Phil Spector, you know, to Brian. But they were also doing, you know, all those Liberty albums with Vicky Carr sure. and Jackie DeShan and, sure. and all that stuff. So it was a huge factory in L.A. Yeah, that's amazing. The thing that I noticed maybe in some of the excerpts that I did see was it seemed that the Wrecking Crew, per se, had a little bit of a hand in the creation process. Like well, some of the famous riffs actually came from absolutely. these guys. Yeah, because it was their job. You know, it's like, yeah. um, you know, Carol Kay did a wonderful thing in Wichita Lineman. What do you think about this? Or Hal would do boom, 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 
right. know, you know, I'm being right. my baby. Right. Things are like, or, or, you know, that's their job. The opening riff to these boots are made for walking. Yeah, it's exactly. It was it was written as a different way. Yeah. And then Chuck Berghoffer did it as a slide. Mm. And um, you, and the thing is, it's someone said once, well, don't shouldn't they have been paid more? You know, because they're creating or maybe writing little things. And, they, and my father said, listen, he said, I made hundreds of hits, but I made thousands of bombs. And I never gave back the guy's money, his $25 that he just spent. Right. He said, you got it. You know, you don't hold back on creativity. Right. It's like a doctor saying, well, you know, you know, I'm going to, nah, I'm not going to pull back. I'm not going <laughs> to give you that information. Yeah. <laughs> well, that sounds like a pretty great balanced perspective yeah. on the whole thing. Uh, did they last until... Well, basically, well, the late. Say? I mean, '67 is the heyday of rock and roll session player of the, this yeah. era. Yeah. And the only reason I could tell that is because I could see the amount of contracts from the AFM in terms of in Los Angeles, of course. Um, my dad had 400 something contracts in that year, and so did Hal, and so did Earl Palmer. And the thing is, that means they were doing two or three dates a day. A recording date was usually three hours. Right. You know, so you went. Th- Maybe you know to Capitol Records. Gold Was that Stone. one song, or did they have it? No, like, you you were allowed to do three or four songs. You were allowed to do three. That's or four. when they say loud because they could have done more, and sometimes they put it. The union put a stop to that. Oh, they did. Yeah, oh, because how interesting. you know because you could knock out. Think about it. Are right, you going to do one take? Yeah, you could do a whole album in, yeah. in an hour. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. well, no, no, no! We're not going to do that. Which fall <laughs> un, falls under the union's idea of exploitation. Yeah, they want to be exploitation. It's just like right. the car. It's no different than working at GM. Sure. You know, he can only do so many cars. Right. <laughs> so, but um, it was, uh, you know, and like I said, you know, sometimes it would be different. I mean, Brian Wilson would work forever on one song. He'd come in for five minutes and say, you know what, guys, I don't feel like it. Yeah. All right, great. We guys got paid. Move on. Sure. And, you know, Good Vibrations took months, different yeah. sessions. Smile took 30 years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's amazing stuff. Let's listen to one more, and then I'll talk sure. to you for another minute. Sure. And uh, What are we listening we'll to? We'll go from there. Let's listen to It Never Rains in California. Oh, cool. Didn't think before deciding what to do All that talk of opportunities TV breaks and movies rang true
Robert Hammond from 1971, would you say? It never so. rains. 71, 72, right? Yeah. And that yeah. was Hal Blaine on drums. And when you were asking earlier, how, that was starting the transition now because 68, you know, music is changing in LA and all around. You got Zeppelin, you got all these groups that can play their own instruments. Sure. And a lot of stuff like, uh, well, Carol King and James Taylor, they're doing their own stuff. So there's less and less need for maybe some session musicians. And so at that point, it, I, I want to say in the 70s, you still had guys working. like But Hal Blaine is doing like Simon and Garfunkel, you know, and with Joe Osborne and Larry Nectar. Larry Nectar went on to do Bread, his own group. But it kept going. Like I said earlier when, during the break, my father went into TV and film much more. You know, records where he was in the heyday in the 60s. And right. In the 70s, he was doing a lot right. of TV and then in heavy in the films. And then, But that in itself for a session musician, even a great session musician like existed in The Wrecking Crew, was yeah. a pretty hard... It was extreme. Is extremely. I was saying is extremely. The transition to go into film, or TV, even TV. You do TV. You got one thing for all those themes and all that stuff and cues and stuff. But when you go into uh, film, now you got John Williams and you got all these composers and you got an orchestra, and you can't blow it. You're there because you. There is no one else that they want. Yeah. You're, you're just not given that job yeah. by accident. So I was saying, if my father. One of the writers years ago asked, what do you want to be recognized for? Was it Beach Boys or, or was it the Batman theme or Green Acres theme or any of those themes guitar-driven? He said, I want to be remembered for my work with my movie work because there was no one else that was being called for that job that day. You know, So when John Williams says or James Horner says, keep two weeks in September, whatever it is, open because we have a movie call with so-and-so, that means they're, they're, they know it's all guitar and it's going to be heavy reading. You know, to me, that's when you know you made it. And you had to just be so exact. There was just yeah, that's no it. I mean, you can't, buts. you can't, you better, the red light goes on. You know, you got a couple of rehearsals here, and they, and they never gave you music yeah. ahead of time. Yeah. You know, you walk into that room blind, not knowing what you're going to be playing. Wow, that's amazing. Intense. Yeah. And then, like he did with, uh, um, oh God, a Chimino's film, Deer Hunter. You know, it was John Williams, was the guitar player, John Williams, the classical 
John Williams, and my father doing the duet. Right, you know, which is pretty memorable stuff. The Cavatina is a gorgeous thing. Yeah, it's really great. Um, so uh, in terms of like a career that compared to, say, some of the other musician members, your father had a pretty good run, didn't he? He had a great run. I mean, he was very, very, you know, and he he was one of the few. But, you know, he slowed down in the 80s. Sure. His last film sure. he did was, uh, last two films was Godfather 3 and Schindler's List. Gotcha. And, um, you know, then he had a stroke in 92. Gotcha. So that was when he said, that's it, no more. He, uh, you know, one of us would look at him and go, oh, he can still play, but he knew. He knew. He knew he couldn't yeah. do what he yeah. was known, and he didn't want yeah. to be in that position. And continuing to thrive at the pinnacle of something is probably a fair degree you know, of... And that's that's one part of the uh, storyline in the film is uh, I asked many of these guys, I asked Bones Howell, the great producer, I said, what's it like when you're at the top of the world? You know, you are the A-team. There's nobody that, everybody's coming to you from all over the world. And I said, what's it like when you're not there? And he said, well, you got the ramp up. We're like baseball players. You got the ramp up in the minor leagues, and then you're at the top. And then you got the ramp down. He says, it's not about staying at the top. It's taking that ramp down as long as possible. Right, right. And that could be any of us, any career possible. Oh, of course, yeah. If any of us have have the unique experience of knowing what it's like to exist at the top, right? Yeah, I mean, you could be a plumber. You could be the greatest plumber in town, but, you know... (laughs) All of a sudden, the new guys in town. Sure, right. You know, yeah. performance pressure. Yeah, you know, <laughs> the other thing that Plaz Johnson, the great saxophone player that did, uh, he was did the theme. I mean, the most memorable sax theme for me is Pink Panther. You know, he did all this stuff, and I said, "What's it like? You know, how did it affect your personal lives, your family life?" Now I'm asking these questions because I know what the answer is on my side right. or my dad's side. Right. And he said, he said, and he paused, and he says. I'm a better grandfather than I am a father. And that's pretty heavy. Again, you don't have to be a musician. We're all trying to make a living. You know, they just made a living. My dad went to work with, you know, maybe five, six guitars in uh, the trunk instead of a you know, hammer and a right. saw. Right, exactly. That was his tool. Had to be looked at that way. Yeah. Well, I look forward to list- looking at the whole film and seeing... Uh, seeing how the whole breadth of the story plays out. You could probably quote the whole film verbatim at this point, couldn't you? Almost. (laughs) You know, I watch this film with so many different audiences around the world, and I'm proud of the film, but, you know, I'm proud of these musicians. They're the ones. I mean, they made the music. It goes internationally, and you don't have to be of a certain age because you know the music, and you go, that's a bookmark in my life. When I heard that song, I was here. Right, exactly. Or my mom played that album all the time. Sure, exactly. Yeah, or grandmother. Yeah, or whatever exactly. It is. It, it's bizarre watching the audiences. I know that when I listen to a degree of new music, depending on the genre, but pop music, say, right? Sure. Um, the thing that always strikes me about music of that era, and I get a fair degree of ribbing around this place, yeah, is just how rich the music is, right? Yeah. The musicianship is off the charts, and without staying in that area of the era the entire time of every show I do I always try to draw that comparison so it, it, yeah, it, it's just it, someone asked you know, s- you know sometimes you get audiences of older audiences well they don't make music like they used to <laughs> but, you know <laughs> you know I I agree and I disagree here's the thing when we and Jimmy Webb had the perfect line he said when I was growing up on the farm there was only three stations right so those stations played almost like what you've played today I've heard Marlena Shaw. I've heard stuff from Africa. I've heard things all over the world on yeah, one station. Fabulous. And that's what it was like when he was growing up. He says, I listened to Ray Charles, Sinatra, the Beach Boys, or whatever yeah. was happening. Yeah. It was all in one. He said, it, radio has become very segregated. Very much so. so. We have, and so imagine now segregation of radio and 
I could in the amount of music. When I was a kid in the 60s, if you went back 50 years to listen to something, it was from the 20s. We didn't have that. The earliest I remember listening to stuff was from my parents' big band stuff. Right. All right. So now yeah. my kids are listening to stuff of now as well as the Beach Boys, as well as maybe some 50s rock if they hear yeah, something. Yeah, that's great. But imagine all that content, impossible to listen to. So there is a Brian Wilson, there is a Jimmy Webb, there is you know, another Paul McCartney out there. It's just finding it. Exactly. You know, exactly. Well, we'll do our best. Yeah, we will. And thanks for helping to justify this stuff that I keep trying to tell the young people around here is oh my really God. worthy, too. They have, I, I, well, off the, off the station, I got so many questions to ask you about some of that stuff. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get to that. Tomorrow, The Wrecking Crew film. 4.45, 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock. Come early. I'll be there. We have uh, T-shirts. We got cups. We got things to win. There's prizes. Yeah. And a soundtrack and a by soundtrack. students of Boise Rock That's School right. before the soundtrack of the yeah. movie. Denny Tedesco. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. Right.